Hi, I'm Pete McCall, your host for this episode of the Idea Empowered Entrepreneur Podcast. On this episode, I speak with Amy Thompson. Amy is a leader in the fitness industry who has experience with health clubs, programs, starting a new business, and working for others. What I want to talk with Amy about is how she has grown her career. She started as a trainer, and now she's working with one of the largest fitness companies in the world, helping studio operators and clubs grow their business. We talk a lot about a lot today, and what I want you to pay attention to is how Amy has grown her career and how she's taken certain opportunities. She's worked with mentors. She's taken opportunities for leadership, and most importantly, she's learned about things other than exercise science. That's one thing that we have to realize. You know, it's great to understand exercise. It's great to understand how the body moves. But if you want a career, if you want a solid career in this industry, if you want to be a leader in the fitness industry, you have to understand the business of what we do. You have to understand the nuts and bolts. I know a lot of people get into this. I just want to train clients. I don't want to be a salesperson. I want, Folks, fitness is business. If you want to be successful, you have to understand the business of fitness. And that's exactly what Amy Thompson and I talk about on this episode of the Idea Empowered Entrepreneur. I'm Pete McCall, the Idea Empowered Entrepreneur podcast. We're speaking today with Amy Boone Thompson. Amy, can you give us a little bit of background? Why? Give us real quick, give us a little, why did you pick the fitness industry? Why do you do what you do in the fitness industry? Oh, great question. Well, I started as an athlete. I was a high school and college uh, two-sport athlete. And so really, I was on a path to be a coach and perhaps a PE and health teacher. And that was really my path until I took my first job in a fitness club. Everything changed. (laughs) (laughs) What was that first job? I mean, what was it that, I mean, because I think the reason why that's a good question, I like asking that question is because a lot of people got started in that sort of mindset, it's like, okay, I enjoy sports. I enjoy activity. I'd like a career in that mindset. What was your first path? What was your first job in fitness and how'd you get started? How, how to get you down the path you're on now? Yeah. So while I was finishing college, I was an assistant strength and conditioning coach at my university. And at the same time, I started working at an all women's club in Chantilly, Virginia called the women's club. And the contrast of those experiences was really what took me down the path to stay in the fitness industry. Um, I myself was a spoiled entitled athlete, and that's exactly how I found the the student athletes I was working with. Um, But in contrast, the women that the women's club were so grateful, they worked so hard, they were overcoming so many obstacles. And I just found for me at that point in my life, it really took me in a new direction where I felt I could have bigger impact. That's, and that's pretty important. So since then, what what have you done? Give us a brief walkthrough of your career. Because I know, and for listeners, Amy and I have known each other, I think, casually for a few years. And we've we've had some good conversations, but I know we're about the same age. Oh, I know we are the same age. I think we graduated high school and college in the same years. We don't need to say what years those are, but give us a little rundown a little bit, if you if you don't mind, about what what how has your career progressed? Yeah. So after that experience, I moved to the West Coast and I started, I really just walked into the Premier Health Club in La Jolla, California. And I, um, I got a job as a personal trainer. And because of my background in athletics, I also started coaching the league 
leagues and running all the basketball volleyball leagues. Um, so that was fun. I did that for a few years. I built a full clientele pretty quickly and I was learning the business. And then um, someone, my manager and mentor tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, um, there's going to be a vacancy in the fitness manager role. And she really gave me the nudge to put my name in the hat. Um, so I did, and that took me into the business side of fitness. So in my early twenties, I was a manager of my own team of peers, which is a whole, I could, I could speak for hours on that topic alone. Um, but I just, I started to really fall in love with leadership and management and for me, it was because I felt, again, it was about impact. I felt I could have a bigger impact if I could work with a team of 14 trainers who could then reach hundreds of members versus my own clientele of, let's say, 30 clients. Uh, so that was how I spent my 20s. And then I moved into a general manager role with that same fitness chain. They got acquired and it's, it's it opened the door so for me to go then, from a single site club to 26 clubs. And uh, that really was the catalyst whereby I got to take a role as a national personal training director. Uh, Yeah. So then, um, so then I took a role with my, my girlfriend had started a business called fit for mom and I was about to have babies. And so it was a perfect opportunity opportunity for me to teach with my babies in the stroller and run the business in the afternoon. So I worked with her and grew that fitness franchise for about six years to over 300 franchises. And then, um, because I had youngsters, we needed grandma and decided to move to Colorado where my mother-in-law was based at the time. And it was for a national PT director role again uh, with Wellbridge. So I did that for about six years. And uh, recently, I've come on over to Les Mills U.S., and now I'm in a role where I get to work with a lot of club owners, executives all over the West Coast primarily, but um, my space is really helping them to maximize their group fitness programming and see its benefit for retaining members. Well, and for listeners, I want to give a little background here. Amy's been a great resource uh, for me for helping navigate the Les Mills world. And you've put me in touch, Amy, with Bryce Hastings, who I interviewed for the All About Fitness podcast. And I'm really, I'm one of these people, and I think we've had a conversation about this, where I've always been a freestyle instructor. So I've always looked at, and I I need to say this because I have a little bit of a bias. I've always looked at Les Mills as kind of like, okay, these guys have pre-choreographed programs. But one of the things that I love about Les Mills and one of the things I think they do exceptionally well is they understand the business of what they do. So how much effort and energy does Les Mills spend in understanding the business? And I want to emphasize that word, the business of group fitness. Yeah, I mean, it really is. So there's really two aspects to what we do with partners. We have the instructor experience side of the business where we're training instructors. I think we're the only uh, organization that videotapes every instructor and they have to be assessed and passed before they could teach. So that's one side of the business. Our programming, our results-based, the science is there. It's, it's just a very, very great product. But 
um, my role is that I get to interact with the club owners to teach them about the role of group fitness in their club for attracting members, engaging members, and retaining members. And that's something that's really passionate. I'm really passionate about given my role in the industry is to keep people excited about their workout and have them come back again and again and again and stay at your club. Well, the important thing is, and I think one of the most important metrics that Les Mills really monitors, and you guys do a phenomenal job of this, is understanding the engagement of members and the percentage of members that use group fitness classes. In in general, and I know every club is different, but in general, what percentage of club members do use the group fitness program? And and does that how does that compare with general group fitness and Les Mills group fitness? Yeah, so we are teaching best practice would be up toward 50% of your daily or weekly check-ins, let's say, are attending a group fitness program. And so we call, there's, there's a lot of um, different products in your club now that are social assisted exercise. You have personal training, which is where I spent most of my time in the industry. It's group training, which as we all know, has emerged over the last 10 years and group fitness, which is where you can have the biggest impact and the biggest, um, I guess, benefit per dollar that a club owner might spend. So per square foot of the space you have and the investment in the hour that the instructor teaches, you can impact the most members through your group fitness program. So we really tie that back again to the profitability of their business is that you know, a lot of club owners view group fitness as an expense. And we really help to reframe that mentality to say, you know, it's not necessarily an expense, it's retaining the the value of the members that you're retaining in membership dues is this number. And how are we going to get them to get more visits so that they're not at risk of leaving your facility? Well, because I, I love that if I can break in there for a second, because that's been one of my – as somebody who's a consultant and I teach master trainer workshops in a variety of different facilities, I have seen that difference, Amy, between those facilities that where the ownership understands that group fitness is probably the, the most powerful member retention tool you have and those facilities that, well, you know, it's just an expense. And what is it – how is that conversation – when you sit down with an ownership team or an executive team and you have that conversation, how long does it take for them to come to that realization – to go from that thought of group is just an expense to group is an investment in our membership. That's a great question. And it depends on the owner. Some we can, we can get there a little more quickly, but others, I mean, I have some groups that I've worked with for a long time and really helping to reframe and change that conversation and that narrative. And to be honest, there's some business models that never will see group fitness maybe in that way. But I think as, as business owners are really looking to this new member that's in our club, what we're calling the modern member, the millennials and the gen, the gen, and uh, Zs are really driving a lot more um, of of causing us to think differently about our business because they are uh, generation active. They're exercising more. So really, when I'm meeting with a business owner, I want to learn more about what are some of their current challenges and how can we find uh, maybe some, some solutions to those challenges within what they're already doing by either fine tuning and or bringing in some best practices. And maybe we are a good candidate to be a partner and sometimes we're not. So we have that conversation. Amy, this, this podcast is for the, the fitness entrepreneur out there. And one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you is because in the different roles you've had as a national director and now with Les Mills, 
you know, from our relationship, I view you as an entrepreneur, yet I think that the, the common perception is as entrepreneur is somebody who starts a business themselves, yet most people don't realize that you can work within an organization and still be an entrepreneur within that organization. Can you talk a little bit about that in sort of what you've done? Like what ownership do you have with Les Mills and what role, how do you, how, what role do you play as an entrepreneur within the organizational structure of Les Mills? Yeah. So I think, I really think that ultimately your, your brand in working with any organization is your value. It's what you bring to the organization. So at this stage in my career, uh, I, um, I have an influence maybe in the fitness community and I've worked in a lot of different roles in the industry. I bring a great perspective and I can have conversations with business owners that maybe someone who hasn't had that path in fitness could have because I've held, I've been a general manager. I've been a COO. I've had all these different roles. I'm really having a different conversation and understanding the business and bringing a different perspective, if you will. So when when I think about being an entrepreneur in a business, it's really that. It's that my, my brand or my value is all my collective experiences that I bring to my current role. And that I don't know that I'm, I don't feel that I'm limited in, um, in my role in any way, shape, or form because the conversations I'm having are about everything that is my passion in the industry. It's about challenges. It's about perspective. It's about how are we going to get more people moving? And ultimately, how are we going to attract more professionals to this business and keep them successful? So everything I'm doing with Les Mills is my, it fits within my passion. It's in direct alignment with what I enjoy doing in the industry. And so, you know, if, if in any way, shape or form, I can influence conversations to help people see a bigger picture or to help them see outside of their own four walls and their own business. I think that's really the, the, the offer, what I can offer these owners. Well, and your tagline is your kind of personal brand, Amy, is fitness is my business. You know, what do you mean by that? Fitness is your business. Yeah. Well, I, I touched on that earlier is that when I took this, my first management role in my 20s, I absolutely fell in love with the business of fitness. And again, I realized that the, the one of the challenges our industry was seeing at that time, and I don't think it's changed all that much, is that fitness professionals were having a hard time getting to be successful or reaching their own personal goals or their own uh, financial goals in our industry. And part of that was the, the business model that we have. And part of it was people needed different skill sets after they finished their certification. So uh, when I mean by fitness is my business is that I've spent most of my career teaching fitness professionals the business and a business mindset for them to be ultimately successful in this industry, make the money they want to make so they can reach more people and they can stay in our industry and be impactful. Well, it's interesting because I think you are where you are and I'm doing what I'm doing because we understand the nature of the business. And one of the things that always makes me giggle a little bit is when I hear trainers or I hear instructors talking about, I don't want to work there or I don't want to be there anymore. It's quote unquote too corporate. Because folks, if you're listening to this and you work and you work for yourself, trust me, being a part of an organization is a good thing. As someone who's now been worked for himself or as a consultant for a number of years, there are a lot of benefits to having the resources of a corporation. You know, and I look at that and I really wish, I don't know how we can get the industry or I guess the trainers and instructors to come around on this. How have you tried to change people's perspective? Because I'm sure you've heard a number of trainers say, I don't want to sell. Or you've heard instructors say, 
I don't want to sell. What's your response to that? Yeah. Um, well, I have found success in this industry by aligning myself with the best and the biggest brands. And if you if you follow my resume at all, and I shared a little of my path, I always have teach personal trainers to align yourself with the people who are doing it really well and learn the best practices and learn what you don't know. And then if you still have that itch to go out and start your own business, then go for it and try it. Do it in a professional and um, and uh, high standards when you do that departure, but you should you should take all those best practices and again you grow together and then learn the business and learn how to work with clients from A to Z. I call it, and then take those best practices and take them out to start your own business. Um, so that's what I told trainers over the years with regard to aligning yourselves with people who've already who are doing this very well. Because I think that. What people don't realize is everything we do is sales. You know, if you're a trainer, you need to sell your skill set. If you're an instructor, you need to sell sell your ability to teach in front of a room. You know, I really think that a lot of people who don't embrace, I think, you know, professionals out there who don't embrace the sales component of our business are really are, are missing an opportunity to to go far. What's been a big influence? Like, what helped you? kind of really accept the sales process as part of what we do? What's been your big kind of like, what helped you take ownership of the sales process? Oh, I love that. Um, And I'll tell you what it is. For me, it's that you are selling yourself every single day. And this is a conversation I have with owners now is you, it's not just a sales process of bringing a client or bringing a potential member to a decision to join or to sign up. You sell yourself every single day through the quality of your conversations, through the quality of your training or your interactions. And if you're a club owner, you're selling yourself and your experience at your club every single day by the cleanliness of your locker rooms, the touch points someone has in your club. So that is a shift in mindset for some people as they view sales as, you know, pinning someone down and getting them to a hard no or yes, or calling in your manager to close. Uh, But when you sit back and think about it in a way that, you know, you're helping someone with a solution to a need ultimately, but that sales process doesn't stop when they decide to engage in your membership or in a personal training service. You honestly are selling yourself every single day and with every interaction. See, I love that. And and that's the thing I try to get people to understand is you have to be passionate about what you do and you have to be passionate about the people you serve. I think, and and I'd love your input on this. I think one of the mistakes that a lot of newer trainers or younger fitness professionals make is they try to be everything to every member. And one of the things that really influenced me in my career was understanding how to limit myself by saying, I am not going to see clients before, you know, 6.30 a.m. I'm not. I'm not a morning person. 6.30 is the earliest I'll meet you. And I'm not going to see clients past 7 p.m. So once I set some limits on that, I found that that things kind of started falling into place. And once I was able to, to personally, for me, identify my target demographic, that really helped me communicate better. How important is it, do you think, for, for younger trainers and professionals out there to really take those steps and, and ask themselves the questions, who do they want to work with and who do they want to serve? Yeah, absolutely. It's part of the kind of their growth. And so when I'm developing trainers, that's part of their exploration process, but they won't know if a niche clientele is right for them unless they've had an opportunity. So again, I usually, when I'm coaching potential trainers, I encourage them to try working at a big box where you'll see every single kind of client. And then you can start to fine tune and narrow down who your niche client is. 
Because if you do want to have longevity in this industry, it's important that you are filling your books with people that fill your bucket. And I'm, what I mean by that is people that fill you up every day, because otherwise the industry, you, it can be very taxing. It can be very draining if you're constantly working with people that aren't filling your bucket. And so, um, so yes, but I think it's a process, Pete. So you start in your, in early in your career, you've got to try working different shifts. And honestly, that's when going back to business model, the business models are set up where sadly you are burning the candle at both ends and you're working a lot. But as you grow and as you progress, that's the whole secret to longevity is to find the clients you'd like to work with, get the hours that you need that will fit your family and and evolve with you. Well, and that's important for people to realize is that in order for you to really have a career in, in this business, you need to approach it like a career. Yet I see so many people kind of approaches kind of they take it as a job when when did you flip that switch was it moving into management where you said i can make this a career what flipped the switch for you that you said hey i'm i'm here to stay yeah so it was back to that first job i had as a fitness manager that was a salaried position and i will uh, again another conversation <laughs> was what we for 80 hour weeks. Um, however, for me, that was when we got acquired, that was really the turning point because I went from being in a single site privately owned business, which was fantastic. And I wore a lot of hats and learned a lot. But when we were acquired by a 26 club chain, something clicked for me. And I really started to see the power of my growth path. It opened a lot of doors for me. It also showed me about scalability. And that was something that's been constant in my career because I have worked now with franchises. And that's one of the specialties I have even at Les Mills is working with our franchise partners. And anyone who's in rapid growth, growth. If you want rapid growth, you've got to have scalable, consistent programs that fit your brand. And that's where Les Mills has been a great solution. But there's many others who have built their businesses around scalability. Well, and this comes in, that, that leads us to a next question, because and as you were saying this earlier, we know that for years, this has been the, the business model for years. And, and one thing I wish we could both, and I think we would both agree on this. And again, this is a big, bigger conversation, but it'd be really nice to kind of press a reset button and do things differently. Because for years, Amy, you've seen this, I've seen this, we both have experienced it. The top trainer in this facility, the person generating the most sessions, the person doing the most sales, ends up being the manager. But the theory being that the top trainer is going to be the best manager. That is such, that is so backwards. I can't even go to the description. What do you think we can do better by teaching management skills? What do we need? What management skills? Let me ask this question. What management skills do you think that we need to start teaching trainers to make that or instructors to make that transition from trainer instructor to manager to leader? Yeah. So this is where I've spent most of my my career actually is on helping helping people to really think about management and learn the skills they might be missing. And so the first thing I would say is um, that your best trainer is not always going to be a manager or your best manager one. So caution to those who think that's the best person to go tap. Um, but the reason is because because being a manager is really it's being a coach and you are empowering others to grow their businesses but you're doing it in a way where you need to coach them up so they can see the path and then they have to put the work in behind that path or that that structure so one of the the actually systems that I created in my career that I think a lot could learn from is a business building system whereby you can take someone who's entry level and you give them the coaching and the skills 
at the time they need it, which is most important, and when they're ready for it, so that they can continue to grow and thrive. And so it's it's very much about a coaching mindset. And it's not just about here's how I did it. And here's how you can do it. But you really have to get in and find what what that person's path has been, where they may be lacking some skills and start to fill in the gaps. And then not everybody's meant to be in um, your business model. And so that's where you have to have difficult conversations. And you have to really understand that your impact in helping them, um, you know, it might come to a dead end. And that's where unfortunately, managers have some hard work ahead of them in difficult conversations and coaching. But I think that's one of the things I mean, Jack Welch, you know, with GE, his, his it was famous for firing the bottom 10% of his organization, you know, they would review any team and the bot, you know, the top 10% be promoted, the bottom 10% would be fired. And I know that, you know, in, in an industry where majority of the people in our business love to help people, saying the F word, and by that I mean fired, is usually frowned upon. You know, but how important is it for people to realize if it's not a good fit, how important is it to get rid of, to, to make that change right away? Yeah, it's really important. One, because of the culture of your business and the rest of your team and having someone there on your team who's not completely invested. It's um, it's the analogy of the one moldy strawberry in your, in your box of strawberries. If you have that one molded strawberry, it's going to quickly mold the others. And that's exactly what will happen. It will start to erode the, the culture within your organization. So um, I, it's coaching up or coaching out and you have to know when it's time to coach out. And, um, and it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a decision. A, it can be a mutual decision to move on or help that person into either a different role or a, a different business model within the industry. But I'm passionate about keeping more fitness professionals in our industry. So that's where I say that leaders need to take more time rather than just throw out the F word <laughs> to your, your word is we, we need to take the time to figure out, is there a better role for this person? Have I given them all the coaching they need to help them be successful? And, or could we find another business for them within the industry so that they're not just throwing in the towel and leaving us all together? Well, that, that's a great point. I mean, cause we, we, you know, we've got to look into this and we have to tap into the resources. We have to tap in to potential that people have available, you know, and that's, you know, and that's an example of, I don't have that management background to think all the, of all those avenues. What's been a strong influence? Has there been, have you taken any courses? Have you read any books? that's really kind of give you an aha to being like kind of, I don't want to say a secret because there are no secrets, but have there been anything that's, that's helped you make that transition to being a manager or leader? Yeah. So there is an ACE text manual that's about fitness business management. Um, that was helpful. And I've taken a lot of courses. Obviously I've been attending IDEA and URSA for, and, and presenting at those for nearly 20 years. So there's been a lot of different people who've, you know, I've taken some things here and there. Um, but I would say really, if you, if really just having the mindset that you're a coach and not a manager, and that moves you in the direction of really reframing your role and understanding that you have a, a very big and different responsibility than just managing people and tasks, it's really you're helping them in their career and in their journey, and you're helping them to find success. Well, in that mentor, mentors play a big role, and you've mentioned you know you've mentioned that word a couple times. What mentors have really had an impact on you and how do you carry that forward? What, what do you do to help kind of 
pay that forward to help develop the next generation of leaders? Oh, I've had so many great mentors. Well, back to my coaching days, I can think of many of my coaches that were instrumental in kind of shaping me and my character. Um, and also, I'm from a very large family. I'm one of 10 children. So I've always been about oh, collaboration and teamwork. And that's part of my wait, wait, pause for a second. I did 10 children. I didn't realize that. I'm one of 10. So I have mentors within my own wow. family. Uh, that's awesome. And um, so three of my brothers played in the NFL and I was their big sister who went to college and, and played basketball first. So I lean on them now. They're all business owners and we share and collaborate, but that's been instrumental. Um, I've had two business mentors and these are outside of fitness. These are, they happen to be women who I respect and admired. One was an executive with CBS in her career. Another is within the franchise industry. And that was important for me because they offered a a unique perspective and a, a neutral perspective where they didn't know the employees I was dealing with or the challenges, but they could really just, um, you know, take that, kind of global perspective and give me advice. So those were really helpful. Um, and that gets me, that will, go ahead. Oh, and then I, I have to mention Lisa Druxman because she's been in, important in my life in two different roles, both in that club. And then she was the founder of Fit for Mom. And then Jill and Jill Kinney and Jim Mises are two other people that really, really shaped my career. So I want to throw a shout outs. And see, that's important. I think for, for people listening, if, if you know that you want to make this your career and you know that, that you, want, you want to have growth, it's important to find a mentor that can help guide that. Now, the next line, to wrap things up, Amy, I want to be respectful of your time. The one thing and one of the things that I'm trying to do with this podcast is trying to help provide, you know, not that you need it, you're relatively well known, but I want to try to highlight the fact that in our industry, a majority of, a majority of our clients, a majority of members of health clubs, a majority of people that go to studios are women. Yet in our industry, we there not only do we need better overall leadership development, but we also need better development of female leaders. What you know, what has played an important role that's helped you succeed in our business? Yeah, I, I, I've been lucky to have a lot of different strong female leaders. And so maybe lucky, maybe power of attraction, I'm not sure, but probably a little of both. And because I lived in San Diego, I really aligned myself closely with IDEA and ACE, which were both San Diego based. And for me in my career, I could lean to and look for seasoned female executives that were the, the movers and shakers, if you will, that were doing things that were in alignment to my passion projects or, or business challenges I was having. Now, I'm also a proud member of WIFA, which is Women in Fitness Association. And we have actually a mentor program through WIFA, where, whereby I can tap on other female executives around the world and, and ask them about business challenges. Or, um, you know, if I need to get an introduction to someone, that may sound really simple, but that's one other way that I've found success leveraging females in the industry. Well, and, and given the fact, given the strong fact that I'm not a female and also, and I should say this in, in this day and age, I'm not planning on becoming a female any, any day soon, anytime soon. I mean, it's, I, I, you know, this day and age, I, I kind of need to state that, you know, I look at this, I see it as we have this need that we need to develop more, more female leaders, that we need more female executives. Cause I see this huge gap of where you have in, we have female leaders, but they're usually relegated to group fitness or human resources. Every now and then you have, you, you might have a female that moves into a, a CEO or a senior VP leadership position, 
But what do you think, and this is just, you know, maybe better for me to comment on this, but what do you think that can, can the industry do better yeah. that could help open up opportunities for women to, to, to make the step up and become that C-suite, become that yeah. VP of fitness or become that executive? What do you think needs to happen? Is that something from the ground up? Is it something from the membership that needs to come to the owners and say, hey, you know, you have majority females here. Why do you have guys in these decision-making roles? What do you, th- what do you think we can do as an industry to sort of move the step forward to, to help women kind of take this natural leadership role? Well, two things. I think one is that you're nurturing and fostering and everything I've been talking about today by mentoring, by creating a, a career pathway within your organization where people can take that next step and they're given the tools. And if you don't have those that system or that structure in your club, there's other places in the industry you could fill those gaps. So that's one is provide that pathway, provide those opportunities to everyone. And I really think of leadership and inclusive leadership as um, it's, it's really a curiosity and you have to be very intentional about this type of leadership so that when you have an opening, let's say in your C-suite, that you're very intentional about looking for someone who may not fit the typical pathway or the typical mold of what you've always had. And again, not just limited to women, but to represent the diversity in your club and in your community, be very intentional about thinking about who that next leader is. And we often hire people who've had a pathway in fitness, but consider people who've had like-minded jobs in other industries that could bring in you a unique and new perspective. So, but I think it's really, it has to be intentional and you have to take a pause and make sure that you've done your due diligence and that you've really left no rock unturned when you're thinking about who you're going to fill with those roles. Well, and I think that's, you know, that's important because I think, you know, we get stuck in this and, and, one of the things, Amy, that that you know, you and I are again, we we both been in this business, you know, the same about the same amount of time, and one of the things that that really I think we need to evolve away from is this phrase of "this is the way we've always done mm-hmm. it," you know, because I think I think we all fall in this trap of well, we've always done it, we've always promoted the most productive trainer to be the fitness manager, we've always you know promoted this person to be the regional person because they were next in line, you know what? You know, I just that's been my observation with that is that we're we're stuck in this kind of this trap of always doing the same things. How important is it to be the, to, to break the mold? How, you know, how important is it to be that disruptor? I think that your the future of your business depends on it. And that's, again, the conversations that I'm having now with all the global insight that I've been able to have access to now with Les Mills. We're really looking to the future of fitness and saying, if we continue to do things the same way that we've done them, we will not reach more people and we will alienate, we'll further alienate this next generation that's really telling us what they want right now. Their activities are driving and they should be shaping our industry. So you see boutique fitness emerging. You see that the employee that we've always had is changing. They're evolving. Their needs are different. So as leaders, we really need to stay close to what's happening and to future-proof your club. You've got to think differently about your leadership, about your business model, and about what's in your club, including the people that you employ. And then what do you see? I mean, that's, that's a perfect segue to the last thing I want to ask you is, what do you, what do you see the future? I mean, is the future, because I know 
there's so many streaming services out there. Les Mills, I know, has, has done phenomenally with their streaming service. Where do you see the future? Because we have group, we have small group or team training, however that's going to evolve. We have one-on-one training. We have general membership. What do you think the fitness is going to look like in the next five years? And I mean, by that, I mean commercial fitness, yeah. like the health club, you know, the overall health club model. What do you think? How do you think that's going to change in the next few years? Well, I'm calling it a good, better, best approach. So your best way to engage and connect is, is what we're doing now. We know it's high touch. We know if we can get them in social assisted exercise at your club and there uh, that, that you'll have the highest likelihood of keeping that person as a member. So that's best. And I don't think that's changing. In fact, the other options are driving a higher participation in live programming, but the better solution would be that you have virtual programming streaming at your club in the hours when you're not having live programming. So this provides millennials who have flexible schedules, who um, someone who it might serve as a gateway for if they're intimidated about going to Group X. There's a place now and a, a way for them to still be connected at the club and experience fitness. And then eventually, like I said, we're finding them that they're finding their way into live fitness. And then the good option still is we know that this next generation more than ever is they expect um, to have fitness available to them on their device, on their mobile device. And they're already, the uptake of that is already, it's already being seen. So a lot of your members already have fitness available to them on their device. So why not tie that into your offerings as an extension of your membership? And maybe you charge a little more for it, and but that's a way for them to stay connected to you in the other 23 hours they're not at your club. So that's really that my good, better, best approach. And it doesn't have, there's a lot of great content providers out there and it's just becoming an expectation, not an option. So that's what I think I will leave you with. And I think that I, I, I agree. I totally agree with that. I see that more and more in, in, you know, the places where I'm in is I see more and more members. It used to be, I see members come in with magazines, they'd follow the magazine workout. Mm -hmm. Now I can, you can tell that members are doing workouts from their phone or from their tablet. Amy, how can people follow you? I mean, you put out, a, you, you have a lot of good information. You have a lot of good insight. And I know you're pretty active on social media and a couple of different programs. You mentioned WIFA. What are some other things you're involved with and how could people get more information about what you're doing? Okay, this is a perfect segue to my free fitness professionals networking group. And this has been a passion project of mine since 2008. It is uh, primarily in LinkedIn. We have about 27,000 fitness professionals who I personally screen to make sure they're affiliated with the industry in some way, shape or form. And really it's about having conversations. So there's a LinkedIn platform. I keep a free group going in Facebook where you can find local events. Um, whenever I travel to conferences or when I travel to various cities, I try to hold in-person events. And again, these are free and they are completely for the purpose of uplifting each other and growing our industry and connecting people in the fitness industry. So uh, fitness professionals networking group in LinkedIn and in Facebook, it's FitPNG. And um, my Insta handle is business for fit pro. And those are the places you can find me. Well, that's important. And, and I know you are, you are always, so you always include me, you always invite me. And I know I've been to one or two of those events, but just the challenges of, of you mentioned living in San Diego is that when those, when you're doing those events in San Diego, it's so tough being, being at a conference in your hometown, 
because you don't have the flexibility that you do on the road. Yeah. I mean, I still have to take kids to school. I still have things to do. So I really appreciate your leadership on that. And I really appreciate your organizing those events, even though I personally don't always darken the door on them. But I do appreciate the fact that they're there. And I know you get a great turnout because I hear about that. Well, Amy, I really appreciate your time today. I appreciate your opportunity to sit down with the Idea Empowered Entrepreneur podcast. And I know we're going to be seeing tons of great things from you in the near future. Thank you so much, Pete. I really appreciate you taking the time to reach out to me and letting me have a voice on your show. I really appreciate it. Okay, first thing, I want to just clarify something Amy Amy said right there at the, at the end. This is not my show. I'm the host for this show. But the Empowered Entrepreneur is actually is actually an idea podcast. I do another podcast as well. That one's actually distributed by idea, but just want to clarify, this is Idea's podcast for the Empowered Entrepreneur. The reason why I wanted to have Amy as a guest, but first of all, I want to acknowledge that Amy was just she's a finalist for this year's 2019 Fitness Business Leader of the Year Award. It's going to be given at Idea World, the 2019 Idea World Convention. It's happening at the end of June in Anaheim. If you haven't been to an Idea World, I strongly recommend that you go. I'm going to have some information down below in the show notes for that. If you want to go to Idea World, you can use Pete19. That's P-E-T-E-1-9, Pete19, to save 30% on registration for this year's 2019 Idea World Convention. Anyway, what I want you to know is that Amy is one of these leaders, and I wanted to have her on. So I think it's really cool that she's a finalist for Fitness Business of the Leader, yeah, Fitness Business Leader of the Year. I'm not going to edit that out. I think it's really cool because she is one of these people who is showing that you do not need to start your own business to be an entrepreneur. And why I wanted to have her on because her tagline is "Fitness is my business," and she works for other employers. And what I wanted you to hear was how she's created opportunities for herself. No one. It doesn't matter whether you work in fitness or whatever you work in, no one is ever going to just give you opportunities. The reason why Amy succeeded, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, the reason why the leaders in our industry are where they are is because they let people know they're interested. They let people know they want to do more. If you're relatively new in fitness or if you've been working for a while and you're thinking, I want to take the step to the next level, I want to move from trainer to manager, or you want to move from manager to area manager, you want to move from area manager to executive, you have to make it happen. You have to get out there and find the mentors that can help you do that. You have to talk to your leadership. You have to let your leadership know you're interested. That's a common theme. If you look back at Amy's career, she gets engaged. She lets people know she's interested. She takes opportunities as they're presented. You know, when her company got acquired, that was an opportunity for growth. A lot of times when things change, we get scared, right? We get scared. You know, our health club's being bought out. We're merging with somebody else. What's that mean for me? Well, if you're a leader, it means opportunity for growth. It means an opportunity to do something different. That's what I wanted you to hear. That's why I wanted to have Amy on as a guest for the Idea Empowered Entrepreneur podcast is because you do not need, you don't need to invest thousands of dollars of your own money. You don't. There's a lot of risk in that. You don't need to do that. You don't need to start your own business to be an entrepreneur, but you can have the entrepreneur mindset no matter who you work for. It's all about thinking like an entrepreneur. Anytime I work with a client, and I'm talking about corporate clients who I'm consulting with, I put my hat on, I would, what would I do if I owned the business? You know, if I, when I was a trainer, what would I do if I owned this gym? That's the way I treated it. You have to take that ownership. You are the only one responsible for your career. No one's going to give you anything. I'm sorry. It doesn't happen. You know, it does not happen. The only place, and you've heard me say this before, the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. 
So if you want to be successful in the fitness industry, follow the lead of Amy Thompson. Create the opportunity for yourself. Seek out the mentors that can help you grow. Seek out the opportunities that can help you grow. Yes, it's important to know fitness to write the programs, but learn about the business of what we do. If you do that, your career will be in great shape. Hopefully we can see you at Ideal World this year. I know I'll be there. I know Amy will be there. It will be great to meet in person. And between you and me, I firmly believe that Amy is going to be the Idea Fitness Business Leader for 2019. So come on in and watch her get that award. Thanks for stopping by, and we look forward to having you join us for future episodes of the Idea Empowered Entrepreneur.